Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is episode 70. Now, in this episode, we're going to do something a little different. Let me explain what I mean. We had a guest on earlier in the year to talk about digital therapeutics, neuroscience, and drug development. That guest was Amir Kalali. You can check out that episode by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 60. Now, during the lightning around with Amir, we touched on some of his recommendations that make travel easier. And we joked that perhaps we should do an entire episode to discuss some of Amir's tips and travel hacks. Well, that joke was well-received, and now we've invited Amir back to talk about exactly that. Amir, thanks for joining me, and welcome back to Digital Health Today. Hey, it's a pleasure to be back, Then, Amir, travel is a necessary part for what you and I and so many other professionals do. It may seem glamorous at the start, but that really fades over time as the byproducts of frequent travel take their toll. They were smack in the middle of a very busy conference season. Autumn has great events like Health 2.0 in Santa Clara, Leslie Saxon's Body Computing Conference at USC in LA, Daniel Kraft's Exponential Medicine Meeting in San Diego, Roberto Ascione's Frontiers Health Meeting in Berlin, and I could go on. There's probably another dozen that I'm just not mentioning here. You can find a full list of these events and more on our website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash events. And of course, Amir, you also run a meeting. It's known as the CNS Summit, and that's coming up very soon too, right? Correct. Yep, November 1 to 4 for anyone involved in the life sciences and pharma, yes. I'm on the website cnssummit.org right now, and I see that you've got some great speakers booked. You've got Bakul Patel, who runs the digital health program at the FDA, Michelle Longmire, the founder of Medible, Megan Jones-Bell, the chief science officer of Headspace, and many, many more. Now, as you know, I've not attended the CNS Summit before, but I've heard great things about it for years, and I'm really looking forward to attending it this year. What can you tell us about the main focus of the meeting and who really should attend? Um, So CNS Summit really brings together people in the life sciences, leaders from CEO level, um, down to the people actually running the clinical trials, uh, and also other companies that are in the ecosystem, including the new uh, large and smaller tech companies that are getting into life sciences, the startups, investors, uh, advocacy groups, and really anyone interested in how we're evolving to uh, really digitize the life sciences probably one of the last industries to be hit by digitization. And how do we adapt to that, prepare for it, and make sure we have the right skill sets to really thrive in this new environment? Um, So that's really what it's about. It's a community of uh, drug developers and others who really understand the need for change and want to do what's right for the patient. Excellent. That's called the CNS Summit. That stands for Collaborating for Novel Solutions Summit. You can register on the website at cnssummit.org. I encourage everyone to check it out, and I'm looking forward to seeing you there in November, Amir. Now, we do want to talk about these travel tips. I certainly have had periods in my career where it seemed like I was always on the road. And in a few of the conversations you and I have had, I've picked up some great tips from you that make travel easier and better. And since tens of thousands of people attend events in our industry every year, you and I talked about doing something a little different in this episode and to tell people about some ways that they can get through this conference season and make travel more enjoyable. Now, you very kindly put together a top 10 list of your top travel tips and hacks for us, and listeners can find all those on the website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 70. Amir, I almost feel like this is a bit of a public service announcement because with this podcast, you'll be helping thousands of people for years to come. So let's jump into it. What's the first piece of travel advice that you have for us? 
The first one is to really know your airlines and aviation rules, know how to search for airlines. So for that, there's a couple of tips on, under that one. One is there is a website, ITA software. It's actually matrix.itasoftware.com. It was bought by Google a while back and actually drives the back engine of a lot of the Google flights and other websites that are very useful. This is for someone who really wants to understand all the flights that are available and really customize the kind of things they're looking for, whether it's layover time or directness, how fast they want to get there, how cheap they want to get there. It's really much more customizable than maybe some of the more well-known um, sites that are more consumer-facing. So I would say that's one. The second one is if you're really going to go and look at the uh, actual airline sites, I, I would definitely recommend that you browse in your private mode because they, believe it or not, they do change the pricing depending on, uh, you know, judging who you are, you know, and all that. So I think you definitely may get better pricing doing private mode. And the other thing is to really know your sort of rules, whether you get bumped from a flight or anything else, or even obscure things like the fifth aviation law that allows some non-US carriers to, on a few routes, pick up uh, U.S. passengers onto these flights. So, for instance, uh, I frequently go on Air New Zealand from Los Angeles to London, which is not an obvious choice, but it's actually very well-priced for premium class and uh, probably has one of the best services in the world. Uh, and it would not be an obvious choice, but they're allowed to do that. And very few are, but the ones that are really a good way of traveling it includes Singapore from the East Coast to Europe, etc. So I think looking beyond the obvious is a good idea. Now, that software was one of your answers to the lightning round back in our earlier episode. And I've used that many times since then just to see what the available options are. I mean, sometimes the travel sites don't list certain airlines. Sometimes the options aren't very clear about how many stops you have to take and which carriers are actually flying their routes. So that software has really been a great find to help figure out complex routes. But it's even helped me plan some of the more straightforward routes between major cities. So that's a great suggestion there. What's your next tip? So number nine is to really strategically use, if you have any premium cards like, you know, Platinum Amex or uh, Airline Amexes, uh, Priority Pass that comes with some of those. Um, really, those give a lot of benefits for travel, whether it's exchange rates for currency, whether it's uh, getting into airline lo lounges, you know, all those things. I think always, if you don't have them, it's well worth getting them. I don't know what your experience is with that, Dan, but I've certainly found those very helpful. Oh, definitely. A few years ago, I made the investment in an American Express Platinum card, and I really wasn't sure if it was going to be worth the money that I spent to, to get it. But not only has it saved me a lot of money, but it also provides just so much convenience and ease when traveling. I mean, from the exchange rates that it offers when I'm traveling into different countries to the Wi-Fi passes that it gives me, I think it gives me about 12 go-go in-flight passes per year. That's the Wi-Fi system on many airlines. It also gets me $200 of credits for each airline, or excuse me, for an airline that I nominate at the beginning of each year. And it's got a great rewards program, reporting tools, and so forth. So yeah, it, it also gives you free access to the priority pass lounges that you mentioned. So getting a great card is a game changer. And the American Express card is just one, but there are many options out there. If you do some research and find the one that works best for the brands and cities you visit most, it's a great investment. What's number eight on the list? So number eight is if you're really flying anywhere, uh, try as much as possible to fly direct and first thing in the morning if possible. It might sound obvious, but yeah, most delays happen later in the day. And most of the time, if you're catching the first flight out, 
you're really your flight your plane is probably there the night before the airport so you don't have to worry about them making your uh, initial airport so i would say whenever possible certainly domestically i think this is particularly important with the hubs is to try and fly direct and first thing in the morning Great suggestion. I learned that as well. Not only do you have fewer delays at the airport, but if you get on the road early, you can avoid a lot of traffic. So it makes the drive a lot shorter just getting to the airport. What's the next top tip? Number seven is really, um, if you're, depending on what data plans you have, I mean, that could be a whole other podcast, but um, depending on what data plans you have, some people don't have unlimited going overseas. So um, maps is definitely, uh, as you walk around the city, is quite important. So one trick that people may not know is on Google Maps, if you're looking at a city you're going to, uh, if you just put in the search bar in Google Maps, OK Maps, it will download that particular map of that city to offline within your device so that when you're in the city, even if you don't have cellular connection or Wi-Fi, uh, you will be able to walk around and have that map on your device. So I think that's definitely a good tip, especially if you don't have data access at times. You know, actually, I didn't know that that function existed. And of course, even if you have data turned off, the GPS on your phone still functions. So that's another great suggestion. And thanks for bringing it up. What's number six on your list? The next one I have is to really have a digital copy of all your travel documents like your passport in the cloud. So if you lose anything and you have to you know, get a new passport or your tickets or whatever you need to do, uh, I always like to make sure those things are in the cloud so I don't have to panic if you lose it. I've never lost anything, but it's always reassuring to have those things. Another great tip. And of course, one way to do that is just to email it to yourself. So you can always pull that up on your email service. And of course, you can email it to your others in your family or significant others. So it's always available and, uh, and at hand. But you can also save that in a Word or PDF file and password protect the file itself. And if you store that in a cloud solution like Dropbox or Google Drive or whatever you use, you can access that through the protected cloud account. But then you also have the added security of having the file itself be password protected. So Great suggestion. Let's keep going here. What do you have for number five? Yeah, I'm always amazed um, how unprepared many people are when traveling for business. What I mean by that is simple things like, you know, if we're all on the phone all day, not having battery cases and always looking to charge their phone, whereas if you have a battery case, then, you know, you have at least twice the power. So you can go most pretty much all day without having to even charge. But just in terms of the hotel room or in the conference room itself, I always have a power strip. I always have extension cords. You always, you know, go to a ballroom in a hotel and the only plugs are on the side walls and, you know, they're too far away from the seats. So I'm always come, I mean, personally, I even um, take, you know, sticky tape with me, gaffer tape to, uh, even push it down on the floor so no one strips over it. So I'm kind of a traveling kind of my own AV uh, kind of group. Geez, Amir, you really take it to a whole nother level. I thought I was doing well with my little bag of adapters for different countries and backup lightning cables for my iPhone. But geez, I mean, now you know, everybody, if you're at a meeting and you see Amir, go sit next to him. Not only is he a great guy and you'll enjoy the conversation, but you're almost guaranteed a place to charge your phone and plug in your laptop. But in addition to the sort of nuts and bolts things you just mentioned, is there another aspect of technology? Is there another set of technology that you recommend to make travel a lot easier? The other part of the technology, which I'm kind of keen on, is the noise-canceling headsets. Now, most people have the AirPods from Apple, but they're not noise-canceling yet. The next version, I believe, will be. I have them, but I don't really use them on the plane because you really don't cancel the noise. Uh, for those, there's lots of brands you can think of, you know, but my personal preference are the uh, Sony WF-1000X, which is a 
earbud, the only ones in the world that actually have noise cancelling. Or if you like the overhead ones, there's the Sony WH-1000X M2. These are the latest ones, and in most reviews, they seem to beat out Bose and everyone else, but everyone may have their own brand preference. Uh, but those you know, on a plane, certainly uh, anywhere else you want to really get a bit of quiet um, or listen to podcasts or whatever, those are definitely, for me, indispensable things to take with you on the tech side. All right. Thanks for those suggestions as well. Of course, we're going to have those in the show notes. Also, we've covered now six of the items in your top 10 list for travel tips and hacks. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll jump into the top four tips to make conference travel easier. This has been great so far. You won't want to miss what's next. Stay tuned and we'll be right back after this message. All right, welcome back. We're with Amir Kalali, and we're talking about his top 10 travel tips and hacks. If you're driving or at the gym or perhaps standing in line waiting to board a plane, don't worry, we've got you covered. You can find this complete list and links to everything we discussed by visiting our website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 70. Now, Amir, we've covered six items in your top 10 list. What do you have for us for number four? Number four is very practical. People always worry about where to put their passport or other valuables. And I am not reluctant to admit, but I can actually open any hotel safe very quickly. And if you know where to look on the internet, uh, it's really not very hard to open those safes. And uh, many hotel staff obviously have the ability to do that. So putting your things in a hotel safe is not particularly safe in your room, right? And I've unfortunately had friends who put things in their room safe and come back to see it's been stolen. So my preference is either if it's really valuable, really the main hotel safe is the only place that you can be more guaranteed of safety. Uh, I personally actually lock it in my room. My rationale for that is uh, they can come and break into your hotel room safe and no one would know. Um, they have security cameras in most hotels in the corridors and the staff don't want to be seen carrying luggage around. That's kind of obvious. They've taken something. So they much rather steal stuff from a, um, a room safe. Now, I've personally had no issues with safety in all these you know, over 20 years of traveling constantly. So personally, I've been very lucky, but I think I'm also very careful about things. So that'd be my tip to really don't rely necessarily on your room safe as the safest place to store your stuff. You know, I'm always unsure of that when I travel, whether I should use the room safe or lock things up in my suitcase. The bottom line is that if someone wants to rob you, they're going to find a way to do it. I even know someone who had the entire safe stolen off the shelf in their closet of their hotel room. So nothing's 100% secure, even if the safe is secure, maybe the shelf that is bolted to isn't really. So assess the situation and make use of the options available. Now for number three, I see you have some suggestions on things that we should take with us to stay healthy. So that one is more of my background as a physician. So I always carry not just a first aid kit, but um, pretty much medications for most likely to occur occurrences. Now, again, I've really not never had to use it. I tend to use it for other people I'm traveling with, but things like antibiotics, et cetera, and, you know, things for uh, GI upsets. It, you just don't want to be running around to a local pharmacy or getting prescription meds like antibiotics when you actually need them. So I certainly, personally, I... Um, probably take a ridiculous amount of meds with me just in case I pretty much draw the line of frozen plasma. That's the only thing I don't take with me. But pretty much for everything else that you might normally come across on traveling, I have it with me just in case. It's good insurance policy and you don't have to run around looking for it when you need it. I certainly don't bring frozen plasma in my bag either, but there are two things that I always try to keep in my bag. 
One is allergy medication. I don't have terrible allergies, but you know, sometimes you fly into a city and they've got a combination of diesel fumes and some local plant that's in bloom that I'm not accustomed to and can just really mess up my eyes and sinuses. So I make sure that I have some allergy medication that I know works and that I'm accustomed to, and that's helped on more than one occasion. And then the other thing I take with me is baby aspirin. I only realized recently the threat of DVT. It's really amazing. Each year, almost a million people in the U.S. are affected by DVT, and about 60 to 100,000 people a year in the U.S. alone die from DVT. You know, it's really a significant risk. It seems like they should almost have that on the in-flight video. And one of the things that I only recently learned is that it's not only important to take baby aspirin during the flight, which is what I've done for, you know, years now, but it's even better if you take baby aspirin in the run-up to the flight, during the flight, and even after the flight. So that's what I do now. I try to take at least three or four doses over at least a day or a day and a half to try to reduce the risk of developing DVT. Yeah, definitely. I'm really glad you brought up this topic because actually, again, it's one I really think about every time I travel. So actually, baby aspirin is definitely a good idea for those, you know, who for some medical reason um, can't do it. Apart from those, I think most people who can take a baby aspirin should around long flights. The second thing that you should do, uh, which actually has a larger effect size, frankly, than the aspirin, is to have proper uh, pressure stockings on side and they would never take a long haul without having those stockings on so definitely the pressure stockings plus baby aspirin plus um, as often as you can walking around the plane not not having stasis and sitting there in your seat okay um, and thirdly really sort of reducing your alcohol intake and increasing your water intake i think that all those things will help with dvt Great suggestions, Amir. I know a lot of people who look forward to that glass of champagne or that Bloody Mary or GNT as they board those flights, but replacing those with a couple of glasses of water can really do your body some good. So we're coming down the home stretch here, Amir. We're getting into the final two. What's the number two item on your list of top travel tips and hacks? Number two, I call that really relationships matter, right? Get to know your hotel leadership. Um, so I actually have a large network of hotel general managers and they have a lot of turnover so i actually keep up with them on linkedin and know where they're going and they're usually on an upward trajectory so they'll end up you know managing major resorts somewhere so i've actually had many occurrences where i've met someone at one resort and then you know two years later they're somewhere else and i um, i kind of ping them again so most of the time the way that happens is whenever i have good service in a hotel I'll be sure to drop a note to the general manager, find out who that is, and develop a relationship. And most of the time, they're getting complaints. So they're really happy to hear about when things go well. And I go out of my way to do that. And what that's led to is really that they're very happy to hear from customers and uh, develop a relationship. And most of the time, uh, people think that the cheapest way to get a good room is to go on the website and find that. Actually, the best way is to know the general manager and pop them an email and say, I'm coming into town again. What's the best rate you can do for me? And um, I will tell you that you will get much better rates than any website and you certainly will get upgrades and other things that uh, you know normally wouldn't get. So, you know, like anything else in life, if, if you develop a relationship and uh, it really helps. Relationships definitely do matter in many things, but I have to admit that when I think of my relationship to a hotel brand, it has more to do with their websites, apps, and loyalty programs than it does to their general management. But it's really important to make that human connection. And you told me once recently about an experience you had at one of the hotels that really made you feel a very personal connection. Can you tell the listeners about that? 
Um, I think you're probably referring to, I mean, lots of people do nice things, but uh, I think you're probably referring to one particular brand that uh, knows me quite well and I know the senior leadership. And the last time I stayed with them, although I gave them one day's notice that I was coming, they got the normal room that I like. But not only that, they've started monogramming my pillowcases for when I come for that resort and the other properties in, in that group. They know, you know, I'm coming and they just do that, which seems kind of crazy. Uh, I guess it doesn't take much to do that, but they just keep the pillowcase for next time I'm in town. So, I mean, as I said, if you develop the relationship with people, it's quite amazing what they will, what links they will go to just to, you know, keep you happy. That's pretty impressive that they would actually do that and have it available on short notice and then make those pillowcases available for you on each visit. That's a really nice touch. And now we're down to number one, Amir. So tell me, what is the number one piece of advice you have for people as we head into the airports this conference season? So number two, uh, we focused on you know, knowing, getting to know the leadership of these groups, right, and the resorts and the hotels. Number one is really the frontline stuff, right? So number one always is be kind and smile. And I think, you know, I think all of us watch other people scream and shout to the frontline workers. And, you know, quite honestly, I just don't understand that, why one would do that. I mean, first of all, it's not the right thing to do. Second of all, it's not really the frontline person's uh, fault most of the time if you're angry with the airline for you know canceling your flight or whatever it really isn't the fault of the person at the gate so i think the last thing you want to do is really be unkind to people who are just doing a difficult job as it is so my my number one hack is really to be kind uh, throughout your travels i mean that applies to your life as well but you know and smile at people and i i, I always find that's much better than not. So uh, I think the best hack is to really apply those principles to everyone we meet in the travel industry because they're, you know, from their perspective, they're having a hard day. They, they have a very tough job to do. And I think that's probably the best thing we can do to make our experience better and, and be kind to others and make their life a little bit better that day too. We all know that traveling can be really challenging at times, and that's putting it politely. It actually can be extremely frustrating and infuriating if things just go the wrong way when you're trying to get to where you need to be, especially on a deadline. But there isn't really any situation that's improved by behaving like a jerk. I can't think of one, and uh, maybe the listeners can let me know if there is a situation that's improved by being a jerk. Uh, but it's, it's not always easy to do, but remaining calm and kind can help a situation even if it's for no other reason than the fact that it doesn't escalate the situation to become even something worse. So thanks for sharing all this advice with us, Amir. And we have all these top 10. So Dan, would you like two quick bonus ones? I'm giving you top 10. Uh, should I give you a taste of the other 90, uh, 90 ones? Just two quick ones? Sure, yes. I'd love to hear them. Um, uh, you may have not heard of the first one. There's a website called Rome, the number two, and then Rio. Have you heard of that? Uh, no, I can't say that I have. So I think you'll find that interesting. It's a funny website. You basically can put in any two locations in the world, and it'll tell you all the different ways you can go, whether by plane, by train, by bus, and tells you how to do that. So it's it's more for exotic travel, not kind of like you know London to New York or something. But it literally, if you want to go from Rome to Rio, it will tell you the hundred ways that you could possibly do it, and the cost and all that. So I think that's kind of an interesting one that. Uh, for those who like traveling, it's kind of just cute and, and curiosity about the different ways of doing things. That's like a fun one. Great site. I haven't used that before. It sounds like a great one to use for holiday travel or perhaps business travel when you want to fit in a little bit of uh, downtime on the beginning or end of that trip. That link will be in the show notes as well. You said there were two bonus tips. What's the other one? 
And then uh, I know you've asked me before about apps. So what, what I would say is one of the things I find, especially with international travel, um, you know, um, Uber, despite all its problems, is definitely uh, sort of can be really handy. And I think it's actually much more useful in foreign countries like China and others where the drivers do not speak English, and traditionally you'd have to ask your hotel staff to write your destination in the local language, etc. Then you have to find the money, make sure they're charging you the right amount. Um, so I think the ride-sharing apps have become very useful. Now, interestingly, uh, Uber, when they first started in China, I used it, and it kind of astounded some of my concierges in some of the hotels in Shanghai. Um, but Uber's pulled out of China. There's now a local equivalent, same thing in Thailand. So depending on the country, it may be Uber or more more. Recent Recently, much more often, they're local apps that are basically like Uber. And once you've gone registered, put your card in, you really is so much easier to, in English, be able to, you know, be picked up at your hotel, put in where you want to go, and the driver knows where you're going. You don't have to worry about currency. Uh, I just did it in Japan. Uber was working in Japan really well, uh, a country that's kind of tough to sometimes negotiate, you know, language-wise. Uh, and there's a local taxi app there too that works very well. So I think. That's the other thing I would use a lot overseas is really those ride-sharing apps make it much easier, especially when the drivers don't speak English, to try and get somewhere without you know too much uh, trouble. Yeah, those ride-sharing apps are great. I was an early adopter of Uber when it came out, and I recently started using Lyft as well. They sometimes run programs to entice new users, and I took advantage of that during the JPM Healthcare Conference in San Francisco in January, and I really had a great experience with them. So uh, check out Uber, check out Lyft, check out any other ride-sharing apps that are available in your area. Again, Amir, thanks for coming on the program and for helping thousands of listeners have smoother travel this and every conference season. I look forward to seeing you soon at your CNS Summit in Boca Raton, Florida. My pleasure speaking to you as always, Dan. Okay, folks, that's the end of episode 70. You can find all the notes from everything we discussed at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 70. It's also the end of our seventh season of Digital Health Today. Hard to believe we've done it that long. We have a great lineup of guests for season eight as we dive into artificial intelligence, digital patient records, cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, advances in wearables, mental health, skin cancer, and much, much more. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter at digitalhealthtoday.com and subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast app. If you enjoy this program, there's a few ways you can show your support. You can share our podcast with your friends, support our sponsors, and also leave a review on iTunes. You can also get in touch with me directly on Twitter at HealthTechDan or on email at dan at digitalhealthtoday.com. Thanks for tuning in and for being a part of the program. I'll speak with you soon on the next episode. And until next time, keep on innovating.